we have to get creative with how we plan. And on top of that too, we have to figure out what's really important to us. You know, like if you go into the gym and you have an hour, you're probably not going to take that whole hour because the kid, you're going to lose those kids after a little bit. So you got to, you got to really figure out what are the most important things to you as a coach? What are the messages and the ideas and the skills that you want to hammer home with those kids and really focus in on those few things that day and not try to do everything. You know, you just got to be able to lay your head down on the pillow every night, know that you've done your very best and you've done right by these kids. It's not what we do. It's how we do it. Hey everybody. Welcome back to the high school coaches club. I'm your host, Max Price. Much like episode 82 with Brett Andrzejewski, this episode with the awesome Kevin Agnew was recorded before our spring season started, but dude, things got crazy. <laughs> and so the podcast took a back seat, but it's here now. And I think the timing is awesome. If you're a baseball coach, you'll get tremendous value at face value. If you coach other sports, you'll pull a ton of great ideas, especially if you're looking for mental skills, uh, practice planning, player engagement that you can immediately start to implement with your own program. Huge thank you to Will Miner and the gang over at Netting Pros. They've powered the High School Coaches Club for years. If you need any facility improvements, make them your first call. Not only will they help you design it, but they'll do it all custom for you. From the fabrication to the installation, they've got you covered for netting, digital graphic wall padding, turf, turf protectors, cubbies, windscreen, ball carts, you name it. They crush the baseball and softball world on a daily basis, but they also get after in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across America, providing high-quality products and services for facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. Not only at the high school level, but for recreational, collegiate, and professional sports as well. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Netting Pros, they're improving programs one facility at a time. In this episode, I'm joined by Kevin Agnew. He's the head baseball coach at Pullman High School in Pullman, Washington, where he also serves as an assistant football coach. To give you some perspective on the conversation, Pullman, up there in Washington, northwest part of the country, averages about 21 inches of rainfall every year, on top of an average of 42 inches of snow per year. So if you want to coach baseball in Pullman, you're looking at an average of 116 days a year in which you're getting either snow or rain. So how do you prepare a team for competition in those conditions? We'll get into that and more. He's a great dude, and he's not even the best coach in his own household. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 83 with Kevin Agnew. All right, joined by Kevin Agnew. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Coach. Excited to be here. I'm glad to have you here. I, um, you know, We're talking off air about weather and all the beauty that is Pacific Northwest baseball and I'm really excited for the weather to turn at some point maybe in April and be able to do some baseball stuff outside yeah no doubt about it that's that's definitely something that makes baseball unique up here in the Northwest is the weather factor and you you played up here so you're you're from Washington you've been around this your whole life um, what was it like growing up playing baseball with your dad um, yeah, that, I mean, that was a big part of it. Anytime I, I start talking baseball or football or coaching or any of that stuff, you know, it comes back to my dad and our relationship growing up and, and the role that coaching and teaching played in our household was, was definitely a big, 
big part of it. You know, my, my sister was a cheerleader. My brother played baseball. I played baseball and football. And so we were all, you know, involved with that. We all had my dad as a teacher at one point, you know, so that was a big part of it. And then my mom was, was, you know, one of the greatest coaching moms of all time and coaching wives of all time. You know, I've I heard once they said there's two kinds of coach coaching wives. There's great ones. And then there's ones that don't do it. So <laughs> my mom was one of the best and, you know, it was a big part of our, our life growing up. And, um, I started in uh, central Kidsap. My dad was the head coach there for baseball for about 12 years. And so, uh, that's where it all began. And then we moved over to Woodenville in 1990 and he took over the baseball program. And then he actually became the head football coach as well, right after that. And he did both for a long time. And, um, that, that was a big part of our, our life. And, uh, you know, growing up, Woodenville West was, was a really good little league. We sent a bunch of teams down to San Bernardino and one actually made it to Williamsport. And, um, you know, we had the Tuyasasopo family and the Lentz family and some of these big time sports families and we, their, their kids were really, really good players. And um, so I was really fortunate. I got to play with some tremendous athletes growing up and we had a ton of success. And um, I went to Woodenville and played football and baseball for three years and all of that hard work and, and teamwork and all that time we put in growing up uh, culminated in a state championship in baseball the the spring of our senior year. So that was pretty special. Um, it was a great exclamation point to, to just a, an incredible run that we had growing up. And, um, you know, when you have a town that is supportive and really invested in, in youth sports, it, it really creates a pretty special opportunity. And it's, you know, something that stuck with me. And it was a big part of why I went into coaching and teaching when I had the chance to do so. It reminds me like there's a lot of movies. They seem to mostly be football, like high school football movies, like Friday Night Lights and other things. And uh, it always cracks me up when they they have like movies like that because you know inevitably there's a state championship, they win or lose, whatever. And then like the next scene in all those movies is like you know we're graduating, we're hugging, we're saying goodbye, and it's like well actually you know the football season ends in November. Yeah. You got a long ways to go till everybody says their goodbyes. Um, and that's one of the cool things about baseball is that when you you're talking about winning the state title the spring of your senior year, it's kind of interesting because that that basically is it. Like it's after that you graduate and you really do like that's the end of it. Yeah, yeah. And we, you know, our, our generation was kind of the first to really dip into the select summer baseball um, stuff and, mm -hmm. and to, to move away from Legion. I think that kind of started in our area in the late nineties. And then I graduated in 2002 and, and we had kind of transitioned into this, you know, select baseball stuff. And I remember sitting around cause I had two or three guys from our team that played on my select team. We played for Pete Wilkinson, who was a, a great summer coach um, in the Seattle area for a long time. And, I remember we were sitting up at Edmonds Community College and we were wearing uh, red and, and gold and we had been blue and green as the Falcons at Woodenville. And now we're playing on this summer team and all of us were looking around at each other going, man, we don't want to play with these guys. We want to keep our team together. And we kind of <laughs> laughed about that. And, um, you know, summer ball was great. and We enjoyed it and stuff. But we our team had such an incredible bond and such an incredible chemistry and um, that was always one thing that, that our coaching staff talked about was that, you know, you guys may not necessarily be the most talented team we've had here at Woodenville over 20 years, but your chemistry and your drive and, and your friendship amongst your teammates was, was second to none. And so that was always really important to us. And then, like you said, we, we all went our separate ways, you know, and we actually were, were fortunate enough to be inducted into the Woodenville 
Athletic Sports Hall of Fame. And um, we all came back because we were the first team to, to win a state title at Woodenville. And um, we all came back, you know, 10 years after whatever it was. And it was like we hadn't missed a beat, you know, same stories making fun of the same guys, you know, joking about the same things. And, uh, you know, it just shows how close we were and how connected we were. And, you know, we see each other at weddings and things like that here and there over the years. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty special memory. Yeah. It's funny because I, you know, just trying to learn about guests before I have them on and I, you know, I Google people and look people up and, um, so, you know, I type in Kevin Agnew, you know, Washington baseball, <laughs> click enter. And, you know, a couple pages down, there's an article from your senior year of high school. That's kind of archived mm-hmm. on the internet. And, you know, I click on it thinking it'd be, you know, after the state championship. And it's actually kind of cool because it was, um, I think, with three games to go, it was talking about how you guys needed to win two games to get in sort of a deal. And and it was just filled with quotes from you and your dad. And it was really interesting. And then it gets to a point where, you know, the reporter, whoever was doing it, asked you about, you know, your post high school plans. And you were like, well, I can't remember the quote, but it was something like, you know, I you know, playing college baseball is something I like to do. You know, I've reached out to a few different schools, but I might just kind of go to college and just not play. And you see, you had a great, at the end of it, it's like, a, you said something like, a, you know, I reached out to Washington State because that's where I really, really want to go, but yeah, I haven't heard back yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that was, you know, the, the recruiting process was was pretty crazy. And I, you know, I I can't even imagine what the kids are going through today with, with all the changes and and the transfer portal and the NILs and, you know, all that stuff that they deal with. And I remember how stressful it was, you know, going through it when none of that stuff was around and being a, you know, kind of a forgotten guy that wasn't really getting recruited that hard, you know, it was, it was tough, but um, I I had signed with Edmonds community college uh, prior to the, the high school season. And that was kind of my plan um, was to go there, but I was also being recruited to play football by some smaller schools. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. I've always kind of considered myself a football guy first. And, um, I just had a kind of a run of bad luck with injuries and things in football. I hurt my shoulder and actually had labrum surgery two weeks after our state championship and that I'd hurt during football season. And so it was kind of a, I limped through the high school season and, um, you know, I was fortunate enough about a week after our season to get offered a scholarship to WSU. And, um, you know, it was minimal, minimal, you know, but it was a chance to go play. And, and I still remember, you know, I, I called my grandpa, I think, and I, that I got my letter of intent, like, like the night before the final four or something like that. And I said, yo, grandpa, I'm signing my letter of intent. He was like, great, but you have a job to do tomorrow. You need to go win this thing. <laughs> like It was like, I don't care about your scholarship, man. You need to go win that state title, you know? And so, and that was kind of, that was the way I was raised and it was team first and family first and, you know, all the other stuff, you know, the all league stuff and the, in the scholarships and the next level and all that was always, it was secondary. And, you know, I, that, that isn't necessarily just something I say, it, that was the way I was raised and that was what was important to us. And, um, that was, you know, that was our focus and that we had a lot of guys on our team at, at Woodenville that were like that, you know, we had, we were kind of sandwiched between two groups where there were a ton of division one players and guys that got drafted and stuff like that. And our senior class, we, you know, we were the only one that didn't go to state in little league. And, you know, we had two guys, me and, and Bobby Carlson was our third baseman. He ended up going to Edmonds that didn't have scholarships and, so we, we kind of were the underdogs and we were the grinders and, um, you know, we embraced that and it, it, you know, it pushed us and it drove us. And I, I think had I had some sort of division one scholarship heading into my senior year, I'm not sure I would have worked as hard as I did, you know, and 
that was really something that drove us. And, and that was a carrot out there that we were competing for. And, um, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I, I had some visits to like Minot state and central for football and stuff. And I kind of wanted to do that, but the injuries just kind of shut that down. And I, I went the baseball route and when WSU offered me that that's kind of where I wanted to go for school. Uh, my sister was over there, you know, and it made sense. So I jumped on that and, uh, unfortunately I was injured and I redshirted that first year and then had to have another shoulder surgery and, and left and went to a junior college to try and recover and never really did. Um, but you know, it's a great experience and I, I learned a lot. Yeah. The, the recruiting part is so different. Um, 20 yeah. years later, you know, now where we're, we're sitting now, it's, um, you know, talking about even just signing a letter of intent that late in your senior year, to a division yeah. one school. And, and now like this year we have an incoming freshman, for example, who's already, you know, verbally committed to a division one school and just like the, the world we're in now is it's so public, right? Like in terms of your recruitment, everybody's watching you. It's, it's, it's all on display, the pressure when you're playing, like you mentioned, like on these select teams, for example, and I'm not saying this is bad stuff, but just, it's just different. Um, you know, you have yeah. a teammate who your, your teammate, he's already committed and you're a freshman and you're still not. And then now you're a sophomore now, like seven of your teammates during the summer season are committed and you're still not, there's just, it's just a really different arena now. And um, it's really just interesting to hear you talk about it in, you know, it's almost unheard of now of like, yeah, it was my senior year is kind of getting right. near the end of it. We're getting to the final four. And then, you know, they offered me a sign of my letter. Uh, it's just, uh, man, it's, it has, it has changed a lot uh, in the last 20 years. Yeah, it sure has. I mean, I, I still remember keeping a shoebox under my bed with letters from, from, yeah. you know, teams around the country saying, Hey, you know, we're interested. Da, da, da. And it, you know, it's totally different then. Now it's on, it's on Twitter. And, you know, when you get that stuff, you, you, you know, put it out there for everybody to see. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's very different. Um, It it was kind of a private thing, I think back when we were going through it, you know, and yeah, it's, it's, it's completely changed. And um, yeah, I mean, like you said, right, wrong or indifferent, it's a whole different ball game right now. Um, and, you know, it's it's still fun when the kids get to go through that process. And it's, oh, yeah. it's pretty special to to get to be a part of that from the coaching side and see those kids move on to the next level and go and do things. Um, but, yeah, it, it was it was very different. I remember most of the guys that I played with because we had guys, you know, they went like Mike Wagner was a senior my sophomore year. He went and had a big time career at UW and he was signed or committed or whatever about junior year. And. Um, you know, then we had guys that, that went to community college and, you know, our second baseman on my senior team, he went, he won a, uh, NWAC championship at Edmonds and then went and won a national championship at Lewis and Clark state and then went and got drafted after that. And so you have these different, you know, pathways and, you know, two years behind me in the sophomore year was Matt Tuyasasopo. He got drafted right out of high school and, and also had a, you know, football scholarship to the university of Washington and, so it, it, there's all these different pathways and I, I don't think there's any one that's, that's better or worse than the other. It's, it's, you know, the thing I always tell my kids is go somewhere where you're going to get to play right away um, where they want you, you know, and I, I think that's a huge part of it where you have a, a good fit with the school academically, because, you know, for, from my perspective, I, you know, I was injured when I walked onto campus and it just never worked out. And fortunately I was at a place where I, I enjoyed it there and, 
the academic piece was correct for me and and it offered a, a teaching degree that I ended up going back and finishing and um, it made sense from that standpoint. So that's always something that I, I try to tell the kids because you never know what's going to happen. And, um, you know, your education needs to be a top priority for you as you go. And anything beyond that is is great. And, you know, being a good fit and being in the right place and being somewhere where you're wanted is is really important. It's funny you mentioned Matt Tuyasa Sopo because I remember playing the like MVP baseball video games way back when. Uh, and then it turned into uh, MLB The Show, of course, after that. And I remember whatever years that he ended up kind of kind of getting up into the Mariners for a little while there, um, I would always play as the Mariners because Pacific Northwest, of course. And I remember mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason, he was always – he wasn't like rated very good in the game, but I felt like I always hit a ton of home runs with him for reasons I don't understand. And so I always really liked Matuyasa Sopo. And then in real life, I always hoped he, he was able to kind of find the success that I think he probably wished he ended up having. But um, it's just funny the way baseball works out where guys end up, like you said, like some guys are super highly recruited right away and they go off and have great careers. Other guys, it's a slower process and a slower burn and they can still go off and have great careers. And um, I think advice that I heard someone say at some point, I can't remember who, but, it was basically like if if the sport were taken away for whatever reason, would that still be a fit for you? And if the answer is no, you should probably you, you might you might not be going to a, a place that's right for you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a big piece of it. And I, but, and I also think it's a big part of it is is making where you're at the place for you, too. You know, and, and I was you know, I was lucky I went to WSU and um I transferred out of there after my my winter of my sophomore year and tried to go to Tacoma and community college and, and kind of get on there and try to rehab my shoulder and get back on track. And, um, you know, it, it was a it was definitely a different place. You know, I had grown up in Woodenville, about an hour north of Tacoma. And, you know, now I was down in a whole new spot and with brand new teammates coming in midway through the year. And um, it just it was different. And I think, you know, I think part of it is you need to find a good fit and a place where people want you. But I think part of it is too, you got to go in and, and make it good for you as well. You know, you got to go in with a positive attitude and be a good teammate and and connect with your teammates and your coaches um, and work hard in the classroom and, and, you know, make it a place where you can be successful. And I think that that's something that I've always done and that's benefited me because it's gotten me through some really hard times by, by working really hard at the relationship piece and working really hard at the, you know, off the field stuff and in the weight room and that sort of thing. And, you know, when, when everything else kind of collapses around you, which it it oftentimes does for, you know, young men growing up in their 18, 19, 20 year old, you know, it feels really hard and it's really difficult at times. And if you've worked at those relationship pieces and you've connected with your coaches and you've done those kinds of things, um, then you're going to, you're going to come out better on the other end and you're going to learn from it. And, um, you know, I think that's an important part too, for kids as they start thinking about the recruiting process and heading into, you know, the whole new world of going into college and, and getting away from your folks and everything else that, that comes with that. Well, you had mentioned the academic side too, and the, the teaching degree kind of pursuit that you were after. So would it be safe to assume then as you were heading into college that you knew that teaching and coaching was the direction you were headed in? Um, I think in the back of my mind, probably yes. Uh, but I, you know, I struggled in, in class, you know, it was, it was not easy for me. 
Um, and I, I, I struggled academically early on, especially when I went to junior college, which is funny. I actually had better grades at, at Washington state my freshman year than I did at Tacoma my sophomore year. And I, it was, it was definitely a motivation thing and, you know, transferring was tough and it, it was, you know, I, you went from being an all state player that signed a PAC 10, you know, scholarship to now you're trying to, you know, make a roster spot at a junior college. And that was hard. And, and it translated over into academics and stuff. And, you know, I, I, I worked hard at Tacoma to get my AA because I thought that that was important. And my, my parents really pushed me to get my AA so that I could transfer out of there and, and kind of go wherever I wanted. Um, so I think when you when you go to a, a JC or community college um, and you don't finish that AA, it, it kind of the transfer stuff and some of the credits and things like that don't add up properly all the time. But once you get that AA, it's, it's a huge step. And so that was important to me to get that done. And I was able to do that. And I was proud of that. Um, and then I, I went back to Washington state to finish. And, and when I got back to that first semester back, baseball was over. Um, I wasn't connected to anything like I had been in the past, you know, through school and, and things like that. And that fall semester, I, I kind of bounced around and struggled. And I thought, you know, at the end of this semester, I'm going to get out of here and go become a firefighter, do something else. Cause I, you know, I was not doing very well in class. I, I had no direction. And in, in like December or something, my mom sent me a text and said, Hey, you should check out this job. And it, it was a, it was a JV baseball job at Moscow high school, which is just across the border from Pullman. And so I ended up applying for that. And um, I ended up getting that job and I went and coached JV baseball. And then the next year they hired me on to coach JV football. And then that next spring I got into the college of education through WSU, which was really hard to get into, um, as a social studies major. Cause they only had like 12 slots a semester or something like that. So things started lining up after I got that job. And, and I actually had a professor by the name of Andrew Duffin that really changed my life that spring. And he, he basically the first day he walked in and said, I don't give out A's. I'm the hardest teacher you'll ever have. If you're up for the challenge, come back and I'll see you on Thursday. And I was like, all right, this is my kind of guy. And I, I ended up getting an A in that class. And, um, <laughs> You know, it was it was awesome and it changed everything because it, it was one of those things where he put expectations on us and he was incredibly demanding, but also incredibly engaging and good at what he did. He was competent. You know, he he really was a, an awesome educator. And I, I looked at that and I said, I could I could be like that someday, you know, and, and it really motivated me and drove me and getting involved in the coaching was huge. Um, and I ended up, you know, moving into that and I, I went and student taught and. Uh, I've been in the classroom ever since, and I'm like in year 14 or 15. I can't believe that it's been that many years, but uh, that's where I'm at now. It's funny because I've had um, I've had teammates who were amazing at baseball, and as soon as they're done playing, whether it was high school or college, they were done with baseball. Like they had no desire to come back or coach or anything like that. I've had former players like that who I thought, yeah, you know, I have grand conversations with them about how great they'd be at, at helping kids and coaching kids. And a lot of times like, yeah, I have no interest in that. No big deal. Um, and then I've had teammates as well. And other people have, I've known in my life who've played for their dad. And some of them uh, have like, like you kind of dove right in and became baseball coaches too. And uh, I've had others who played for their dad and they had no desire to do that with their life. And they wouldn't, 
become a coach with the 10 foot pole sort of a thing. And it's, it's just <laughs> interesting how, how life works like that where, um, and it, both of them had great experiences with their dads. It's just, it's just interesting how some people could, could go through that process, you know, playing for their dad and, and would love to be a coach. And then others go through that process and they're like, yeah, I, I have no desire to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I don't know what it is. Um, I can't pinpoint, you know, an exact moment where I said, I want to go be a teacher. And I can pinpoint a lot of moments where I've said, what am I doing? No, I, yeah. Right. Yeah. Not, not in, on December break though. This is, this is the good time. Um, <laughs> this is great. But uh, no, I, I, I just never walked away from it. You know, I, I was always involved some way, somehow, um, you know, I'd go back and go to practices and I, I went and helped it my old high school for spring football one year. And it just, it just was never too far away. And, and in the summer when my buddies were, you know, going on road trips and, and going South and, you know, going to Europe and doing things like that, I was coaching Legion baseball, <laughs> you know, and um, it, it, sometimes I sat there and said, what am I doing? And there's so many other things I could be doing right now, but you know, I, I've always come back to it and it, it's always been something that, has really meant a lot to me and has been a big part of my life. And, you know, I think a big piece of it is it was growing up um, around my dad and the guys that he coached with and his programs and going to his camps and being on the sideline for football and things like that. And then the dugout for baseball, it's just, I always really had a huge respect for what they were doing. I loved sitting around and listening to their stories and, and talking about, you know, the bus breaking down on I-5 and having to go play Mercer Island. You know, I could go on and on about the stories they used to tell and stuff. And I would just eat that stuff up. I was always so into it. And so it kind of makes sense that this is the, the life that I've chosen and the profession that I've gone into because it, you know, they were always awesome figures for me. And they were great men that my dad surrounded himself with and they were huge role models for me. And, um, yeah, I think that was a big part of it. And then by my, by my math, you're onto your fourth, uh, head coaching job at the high school level, which means that yeah, I think at this point you're, you're probably here to stay, um, <laughs> as a, as a coach and a teacher, I don't think you're changing careers anytime soon. Um, so you're at Pullman high school. Can you, for, for those listening, you know, I from the Northwest, so it's not hard for me to picture it, but for those listening from faraway places, um, give us the rundown on Pullman high school. Where is it? Uh, what's it like geographically, demographically, all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, my wife and I moved to Pullman. Um, this is actually, we're in year four right now. We moved the, the fall before the summer before, uh, the pandemic set in. So, you know, I, I grew up in Seattle area. Um, and, you know, I was the head baseball coach at, uh, Kamiak high school in Muckleteo. And my wife came home and I was the offensive coordinator as well in football. And my wife came home and said, Hey, there's a, there's a all, or there's a female PE job in Pullman and she's a PE teacher. And, and that was kind of, her dream job was to go to the east side of the mountains to a little bit smaller town. And Pullman was on the radar because both we actually met at WSU. And uh, so I said, all right, well, this is it. Let's go. And and we packed the kids up and uh, moved over to Pullman. And the baseball job, actually, the guy here was uh, a guy named Mike Kincaid, who was a, a legend for WSU. He he was the last All-American, I believe, that, that the Cougs had had and played for Team USA. And um, so when I came over, it was like, they, you know, they've got this great coach. I'll, maybe I'll help out with Legion or, or 
coach football. I had no intention of coaching baseball. And then he actually uh, resigned and, and moved to the college level in California. And I kind of talked to my wife and she's like, you know, you either do this or somebody else is going to get that job and have it for 20 yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, like, that's right. All right. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I applied for that um, and, and ended up getting it. And then, you know, my, we had two weeks my first year and COVID hit and we got shut down and like everybody else and went through that process. And, um, it was kind of hard because we had just moved across the mountains and, and Pullman's about a four and a half hour drive East from, uh, from Seattle. It's about an hour and a half South of Spokane. It, it is the home of Washington state university. So, uh, it, it is right in the middle of, of wheat fields. It's a big wheat community and, um, uh, chickpea community and so a lot of agriculture there um, farming is is what a lot of my students uh, parents do um, but also it's kind of unique because of the university and and you get kids from all over the world really that that come whose parents work at the university and so it's a really cool mix of of a small eastern washington farm type community but also this major university is there and, and brings a lot of really unique features from that standpoint so it's a very cool place. Uh, there's about 30,000 people there. We're a 2A high school. Um, so we got about 750 kids or so in our high school. And I'm actually at the middle school. I teach uh, social studies and leadership in, uh, in the eighth grade at Lincoln Middle School in Pullman. So it's a pretty cool place. And, and we're still getting uh, getting to know people there. And we're starting to get our feet on the ground a little bit after COVID <laughs> shut everything down and stopped that whole socialization process and figuring out who's who and all that. Um, but we're we're very happy there. Our daughter started at, at the Pullman Public Schools, and it's a it's a great district, and um, it's a really great community. Normally, I'd be like, "Well, what were your first steps?" You know, after you become the head coach. But knowing that that was right before the pandemic started, I think it'd be kind of a fruitless experiment because everything was so shut down and crazy. So instead, we'll kind of fast forward and look at the year that followed, so twenty twenty one. Um, what was the spring of 2021 like for, uh, baseball in Washington? Like what was the setup that you guys had? Oh, it was really weird. And, you know, selfishly those two teams, that senior class, my, uh, my first year, and then our senior class, my second year, they were incredibly talented. Um, really, really talented. A lot of kids went and played college baseball. And so I was like, man, we could have been really good, but, um, we got shut down that first year and then, um, we kind of worked to get some summer stuff put together when we were allowed to, and it, it never really took off, but the kids got to play a few games that summer because we were, you know, being in a small town, in Eastern Washington, all the college kids left and we, we didn't really have COVID. You know, my parents were in Seattle, my, my in-laws were in Seattle and stuff and COVID really hit hard, you know, especially in Seattle was kind of the epicenter with, with some of that stuff that happened in Kirkland and Everett where some of those people got sick right away early on. Um, but in Pullman, we didn't even have cases until like August. And then, um, you know, the student body came back to WSU and it just exploded, obviously. So it was a little different experience, but my, my first year I, I got hired to coach football and we didn't start football until February coming off of that COVID year. So that was February of 21. And we went, which was miserable. I mean, it was cold and it was snowy. <laughs> I mean, it was, I, again, it was one of those things where it was like, oh man, what are we doing over here? Um, 
because we, you know, you're not supposed to play football in February, but we made it work and got through that season. And our, we had a good senior class in football too. And it was a lot of fun um, coaching those kids and being a part of that and kind of get my feet on the ground with football. And we had a shortened up season. We went fall and then we went spring sports after that because they didn't want to put spring at the end and risk that getting, um, you know, mm-hmm. canceled again. And so I went right in from football and I think we ended like, April and then baseball started like April 10th and we went April into May and then basketball went like May into June. It was really strange. Um, but we had, a we played league games only and we had a, uh, I think a 12 game league schedule. And then when that got over, we couldn't call it a playoff or a league championship. We weren't allowed to call it that. Um, but we called it a culminating event or something like that. So (laughs) we actually went through, and we went 12 and 0 and i mean we were just pounding guys we were we were scoring tons of runs and um, cuz we had you know five seven seniors or something like that that i think five of those seven went on and played college baseball and we were just you know rolling through it and we uh, came into that culminating event and we ran into Othello who wasn't actually in our league but because of the way that the the health districts and regions were set up in Washington that year they got bumped over into our league and we had beat Othello in a double header like like 10 nothing and like 12-1 or something like that and they came over and threw a really good pitcher at us who just kept us off balance all day long with a curveball and their coach um, Sonny Garza is his name he just does a tremendous job with those kids and they came over and they beat us four to three on our field <laughs> for the culminated event and it was like oh man and it was my birthday. And it was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> so you know, my dad's over there for it and everything. And he's like, well, I guess you can keep searching for that undefeated season. You'll get there one day. And I'm like, all right, dad, get out of here. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was a great season. You know, it was, it was short. Uh, there were, you know, no issues with anything because everybody was so excited to be back playing. Um, the kids were just had fun, you know, and it, we had a good team, a senior team. So, you know, the leadership piece was there and, um, even though we came up a little short in the end there, you know, we were league champions undefeated, which was really cool. Um, and, and it was, it was just good to get back into it. And the weird thing was that was, you know, 21 and we had seven of our nine starters were seniors. And so 22 last year rolls back around and, you know, we basically were a brand new group. We had a ton of freshmen and sophomores playing and it was like starting all over again. So even though I'm heading into my fourth year here, um, it kind of feels like year one and a half in some ways because, uh, you know, that, that COVID year where it was shortened up, you know, those guys were in and out. And I think we had them for like six weeks and they're gone. And and now we're starting all over with this next group of young kids. So it was unique. Uh, it was fun. It was a little later in the year. The weather was great. Um, so it was, it was a good start, you know? Yeah. Oregon did basically the exact same thing that Washington did. They must've been in cahoots with the two things and culminating events and all that yeah. stuff. It's hard. Like, like, how many years have you been coaching at South Center? I'm like, well, I don't know how to count 2020. Yeah. I don't know how to count yeah. 2021 because it was such a weird year. So I say, I don't know. I've just been here for a little while. Who knows? Um, what are the rules? Because it's interesting from state to state, the differences. What are the rules up there for you guys um, for off-season stuff? So, you know, when school starts yeah. between, the, you know, the time school starts and the time, you know, the spring season starts, what are you allowed to do? Yeah, I, I think we're a little behind uh, other states in that regard. Uh, we have a, a dead period in August, and then we have 
basically from the start of fall season to the start of our season, we are not allowed to work with anybody from seventh grade up. So, um, you know, open gyms and those kinds of things are allowed. There's some restrictions on how those can work. And, um, but a lot of stuff has gone the way of the summer program, um, during the winter time. And those guys, you know, are able to work with the kids obviously, because most of them aren't coaching high school baseball. And, um, so that's what a lot of kids do, especially like in the Seattle metro area and stuff where, you know, where there's a lot of those teams going. So that's, that's one thing that, that's kind of hard at Pullman is, you know, we, we play Legion there and, and all of our Legion coaches are connected with our high school. So getting those guys opportunities to to develop in the winter is, is kind of hard because you have to have a non high school coach and, and you can't be involved with the promotion and organization of all that kind of stuff. And so we actually had a community member this year, step up and he's running some open gym stuff for our Legion guys um, on Sunday nights. And so those kids are able to go up and get swings and, you know, work on their arm and stuff like that, which has been huge, you know, and it, um, it gives those kids a chance to do that and they don't have to drive to Spokane or something like that to get, uh, their swings in and stuff. So that's kind of how ours works. You know, any, anything that goes on needs to be a non high school coach or an open gym type of setup where all sports are offered and kids can come in from, you know, to shoot hoops or work on their volleyball or softball swing or whatever. Um, so we're a little behind there. We we've petitioned, I think a couple of times to get the two weeks before the season to be, um, opened up for pitchers and catchers and that that amendment has not gone through yet that's one that I think would be really helpful from just from an arm care standpoint and protecting kids because you know when you're not allowed to work with them all winter you, you get a kid that comes in that's been thrown off the mound every day since December and you get a kid that hasn't picked up a baseball and those guys are going into the same you know tryout uh, together so it's it, that's a tough one I think just from a, a health standpoint and arm care standpoint that one that I'd like to see get kind of remedied. Um, but, uh, you know, where we put our time in, in the off season is with our young kids because, uh, the, the cutoff starts at seventh grade. So we can work with sixth graders down. Um, so we run youth camps and little league camps and, and things like that to, to try to promote our program and get connected with the younger guys. And that's, that's kind of where we spend our time in the off season is, is working with the, you know, the six and under the 12 and under for the most part, um, and connecting with those kids and those, those dads and coaches down there and, and trying to create those relationships with those kids. Yeah. That's what Oregon made some good changes a number of years ago where, um, the, the reasoning for it was essentially like, you know, if you're, if you're a kid playing at a program, uh, and your family has money, like you get access to off-season training. And if your family yeah. doesn't have money, you don't really get access to off-season training because of the way the rules are set up with high school coaches. And so they went at it from kind of an equity lens of to make it more equitable, kids should have access to their high school coaches. So we're able to do a lot more stuff than we would have done maybe like 10 years ago or something like that. Um, but I think that's where the real issue is, is, is more so when you get close to the season, especially in baseball, because there is the health concern with your arms because like, okay, we start tryouts and, you know, two, three weeks later, all of a sudden we're playing games. That's a really short, like a really short runway uh, to yeah. get arms healthy and ready to go. If like you're talking about, if there's a kid who hasn't, had access or hasn't picked up a baseball since like the previous gosh, July, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like we're, you know, in San Diego or Palm desert or something like that. We yeah. go out and it's 80 degrees out, you know, it's cold and you raining and, you know, guys are doing things that they haven't done. And I, I, you know, I know that Oregon went to that and I think, I think Oregon is a little ahead of us on that because I think, you know, you look at it 
definitely from an equitability and fairness standpoint, I think that's a first place to start for sure. And then, you know, obviously the arm care and, and the health of the student athlete is, it takes number one priority. And, you know, those are two pretty strong arguments and hopefully things that will kind of get, get that conversation moving a little bit more uh, because I, I think that's a positive thing. You know, I think anytime you start talking about, those kinds of changes, you know, I think the first place people's minds go is, you know, coaches are going to abuse this and, you know, not do it correctly and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, I think for the most part, when you're talking about high school coaches, you're talking about guys that, that get it, you know, and they're, they're coaching at the high school level because they want to help kids develop and grow. And, um, you know, and I think most, for the most part, those guys treat that right and they respect the rules and they do what's right for the student athlete. And, and I think that if we were to make those changes, I think it would be a really positive one for our entire state and for our kids. I always get a kick out of like, you know, Twitter and even people I've had on the podcast and coaching friends and some of the states around the country, like Texas or Oklahoma or maybe even Tennessee, where um, just depending on what state they're in, they're like playing full on like fall league schedules against other high schools. And I'm like, well, <laughs> we can we definitely not do anything close to that over here. It's just it's really interesting, the different rules from state to state. So um, so then for you, obviously, then the big thing is once the season starts, that's when the development has to happen. Um, obviously, you can't just have the kids show up on day one of tryouts and just maintain where they are. You have to really focus on developing kids then throughout the spring season, because that's that's like when you get them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we really we get two meetings with our kids, informational meetings, you know, by state rule, we get two of them. And um, in those meetings, we're basically like, go long toss, play catch, go long toss, play catch, be ready to go. Make sure you're running before you come in, you know, because those first two weeks are a grind. And, and we have, you know, we start with, with 6am workouts in the morning and our kids come in and they run and they stretch and they learn how to breathe and visualize. And so we do some different things there to get them ready for the season. Um, and it, it's nice because then in the afternoon, we're, we don't have to worry about conditioning and things like that. We've taken care of some of that stuff in the morning. And in the afternoon, we're, we're fighting to get on the field. And if it's even remotely dry, we're trying to scrimmage as much as we can. You know, and so we, we lose out on some of those developmental pieces just because of the weather and, and some of the things we're trying to get done. So we bring them in in the morning to do that and, and get their legs under them and, and get them in shape. And, um, you know, that's kind of where we start. And then, yeah, the, the first two weeks we, we put the kids kind of on a pitch count. We started at about 15, 20 and we ramp them up. And, you know, our goal is, is by the jamboree for them to be at about 40 and then by the first game to be moving into the 60, 70 range, depending on, you know, if that kid is a 15 year old or an 18 year old and what their body looks like and what their, you know, development plan. Cause again, you, you know, you're going to get that senior that's been driving up to work with a you know, mm -hmm. pitching guy in Spokane, you know, once a week, all, all winter. And that kid's ready to go. You know, he, he doesn't need a pitch count to start, but um, you know, the kid that's been playing point guard on the JV basketball team that hasn't thrown since July, you know, you need to really ramp him up and develop him. So I've had a, a pitch count process that we've worked through that I've used since day one um, that me and uh, you know, my, pitching coach when I was at, at Eastlake in Kamiak where I started out, uh, he, his son was Blake Hawksworth and he ended up pitching it for the, uh, for the Dodgers and the Cardinals. And Mark Hawksworth was, was my pitching coach, Blake's dad. Uh, and he is as good a coach, a person, a mentor, you name it as anyone I've ever met in this profession. So I was really lucky to work with him and we developed a ton of stuff with the help of Blake and some of the things that he'd done, um, you know, to kind of 
put our pitchers on a, on a step-by-step process and take care of their arms and make sure that they were developing the way that they need to those few first couple weeks. And I haven't really deviated from that um, since we, we created that, you know, we've added a couple of things here and there and we do more stuff with the J bands and that kind of thing. Um, but we've really stuck to that kind of layered tiered ladder, if you want to call it that uh, of, kind of developing those kids those first two weeks and then heading into the season and how we, we ramp up their pitch count work within that. I think for sports like basketball and stuff, scrimmages are super easy to implement in practices. I mean, just, it's really natural for baseball. Obviously mm-hmm. it's a little bit more difficult because you have to factor in pitch counts. And sometimes you get a guy up on the mound and he can't throw a strike and it slows everything down, like stops everything. And, it, uh, you, and you need to make sure you account for catchers that we got to make sure the catchers also get a chance to hit too. Cause that they can't just catch the whole time. And you got to guys, we got to have guys, you know, warming up in the bullpen, like arranging a, a scrimmage for baseball. It, it, it's just very complex to do so. What, what are the scrimmages look like uh, for you? Like, what do you, what do you do? How do you prepare for them? Can you kind of get into that a little bit? Yeah, we, we do a few different things when it comes to scrimmaging. We'll, you know, we'll go one pitch coach pitch from behind the L screen and simulate some things and we'll do bunt scrimmages and then, you know, we'll, we'll do different things. Uh, but the, the way we start, you know, like the first two weeks, like I said, if it's, if it's dry, we're scrimmaging and, um, that's the nice thing about Pullman is it's, it's a little bit drier climate than Seattle. It still gets quite a bit of rain and, and the, the spring is pretty nasty there, but, uh, it is a little drier and the wind blows. So the field will dry out sometimes it might be about 34 degrees, but it, it's dry. Um, and so what we'll do is in the first few days when the kids are throwing, we'll throw them off a mound the first couple of days. And then when we get into our scrimmages, the next couple of days after that, we put them on a time limit and we figure about eight minutes gives them about 30 pitches. And so we'll, we'll track their pitches and we won't let them go over wherever they're at for, for that particular day. Um, but we also, we keep them at about eight minutes because if they're throwing strikes, they're cruising, you know, and, and that eight minutes goes fast and you get a lot done. If they're not throwing strikes, you know, it slows everything down. Um, it makes it really frustrating and, and slow for everybody. But then the eight minutes is over, you know, and they're not you're not saying, hey, go get these two innings and have those two innings take 45 minutes and yeah. you know, go way over their pitch count and stuff like that. So we kind of we kind of clock them and keep them at that to keep things moving, you know, because especially you know when it's cold out, it's early in the season. Keeping the kids moving and keeping them engaged is really, really important for us. And so we kind of start there. Um, and so you know, whenever we can put it, put a live arm out there and let them throw and scrimmage real baseball, we try to do that. And, and we'll, you know, we'll put guys at first or guys at first and third or first and second or whatever, and, and create some um, different situations there. We very rarely will go out and just start a scrimmage with nobody on, nobody out and go. We'll usually, you know, go put a guy at second and say, here we go. Or, you know, one thing I like to do is take two kids and say, Hey, you know, this is kind of sudden death. You guys are up. You have 10 minutes to get ready and loose, you know, just like they'd be getting ready in a, in a bullpen or something like that in, in a game. And, you know, you guys go and the winning team doesn't have to clean up today. And the losing team has to clean the field or something like that and put them right on the spot and have them go compete and get comfortable coming out of the bullpen. Um, so we'll do that to guys. We kind of think will be relievers and get a feel for if they're even, able to do that, you know, from a mentality standpoint and a preparation standpoint, you know, can they come out of the pen and, and come in and be effective? And so we'll do that. I think that's always fun to keep the kids on their toes and let them compete that way. Um, we do a drill I call situational hitting live defense. And I, I kind of have 12 guys 
in in that drill and so you know we'll go four hitters and eight defenders and then the pitcher will be the the coach behind the l screen and um we'll start with uh you know like bases loaded and so you'll have three guys on the on the bases and one guy hitting and we'll start with a one one count and you know our coaches will mix in a slider or a fastball and i always give them a hard time you know because at 60 feet uh you know, we can't get it to the plate, but we move ourselves up to about 40 and our slider looks pretty good to the kids. <laughs> so, um, you know, we have fun with them from that standpoint, compete with them a little bit, but we'll come in and, and go one, one and let them hit and we'll play it all the way out live. The defense is totally live through. And then we reset everything and it's bases loaded one, one count, what one out, whatever again, and next guy hits. And then we go. And so we usually give them two or three situations. So after all four hit with bases loaded, we switch it up and we go, okay, now we're second and third. And the defense adjusts itself to play against second and third. And, you know, maybe we'll say now it's a two, one count and there's two outs defensively. And so we'll play it all out live and go and, and then we'll switch the defense and I'll switch it three times. So, um, you know, the first four hitters will hit and then they'll go to their position and we'll bring four new guys in. And it, it's nice because it gives me a chance to, to move guys around two times um, because they'll hit and then they'll play two defensive positions. So far, you know, our catcher will catch the first inning, then he'll hit the second inning and then the third inning, he'll go to left field or something like that. Or, you know, our center fielder will lead off the first inning, then he'll go play center and then we'll put him at second base or something like that. And so it gives the kids a chance to play a bunch of different positions um, and, and see a bunch of different scenarios and situations. And we'll build all those situations in, um, to our week of, of preparation and our practice plans. And, you know, we'll, it, we'll start with first and third defense and then we'll go in and we'll have a first and third scrimmage right after that and kind of scaffold that learning for them and, and connect that. Um, and so we, we do a lot of that situational hitting live defense. You know, I, I think that is a better thing for our hitters than just, you know, sitting and hitting half a bucket on the field and trying to hit home runs and stuff like that. And there's a time and a place for that for sure. Um, but I like to do the, the situational hitting because, you know, it, it, it forces them to kind of have a plan and, and go in there and we like to slow it down. And if, if, you know, a kid doesn't run the bases properly or doesn't hit the cutoff guy, right. Or whatever, we'll bring them all in and we'll talk to them about where they're at and use it as a real teaching moment. And so while we're trying to play fast and compete and play hard, you know, we'll also, we'll stop it and shut it down and, and use that time to really teach. And, and you don't have a pitcher out there who's sitting there going, come on, coach, I need to throw, you know, you, you got the coach throwing so you can shut it down and, make it a teachable moment whenever you need to so we'll do a lot of that um and then we do a bunt scrimmage where you know same thing we'll have four guys on a team and put a defense out and guys are bunting every time and we start at first and then we go to second and then we squeeze at third and they've got to compete and we've got a different point system for that and how they get guys out at first and get the lead runner and all that sort of stuff so you know i think it's important from a baseball standpoint to figure out how to scrimmage as much as you can and what that looks like for you because like you said it's really natural and easy in soccer and basketball and stuff to go do that and you know in track and cross country the kids are going and playing the sport that they love in baseball they're not always playing the sport that they love at practice and you've got to get creative and figure out ways to do that and you know when I was on an all turf field at Eastlake 10 years ago our practices looked a lot different than they look now uh you know in a little bit colder damper environment where you know, you've got mud and dirt and everything else, and it, it looks different. But we're still going into each practice with the mindset of we're going to get these kids to compete as much as we can today and figure out ways to interject scrimmaging and competing and, and real baseball into our practices as much as we possibly can. 
I think that's where I've been really focusing on, like personally trying to prepare for our, you know, prepare our guys for the seasons, like the, the competing in practice part. I think we've been missing that last couple of years for a number of reasons, my fault, but I am glad I have you on because you're also from the same similar kind of climate as me, where there are a handful of days, of course, throughout the spring where we end up not being able to go use our fields during practices. And those are the days where I, I sometimes tend to struggle with creating like competitive environments for, for my, for my guys, because it's, I don't know when I go inside, it's a lot harder for me to kind of process that and create an environment that is authentically competitive. When I'm trying to create a scrimmage, I feel like there's a level of um, it's, it's kind of genuine, the competition that comes out of that. So when you guys end up having to go inside um, for, I mean, first off, what's the facilities like for you? Like, what do you have available to you on days where you can't use the field? Um, we have good facilities. We have, uh, three cages actually that come out of the ceiling and lower down, um, in our gym. And so uh, one of them is in our wrestling room and there's two in there. And then the other one is on our ox gym and there's one in there. And then we have kind of an open floor there where we could put down mounds and things. And so we're, we're pretty lucky. We have good facilities. We share those with, with, uh, the softball team for the most part. And so we kind of rotate different days on who gets it early, who gets it late and stuff like that. Um, but I'll be honest, I can't stand going inside <laughs> when we, yeah, if we can go outside, we will go outside. And, you know, even if all we can do is long toss and, and catch fly balls or do something like that, we're going outside and then we'll go in and hit after that. Cause I, you know, you can, you can do a bunch of stuff like bunt defense and, base running first and third in the gym. But I, I always feel like when the, when the kids go into the gym, you lose a certain amount of focus and yeah. um, a certain amount of, you know, snap in your practice. And I, so I, I like to get them into the cage and hit and, you know, they, they want to hit anyways. They don't want to do all the other things that you think are important. They just want to go swing. And so I just like to get them in there to hit and, and um, as much as we can, we do that. And then we'll do some different things. And it's the same thing where, you know, if it's three days in a row or inside, we got to get creative and we got to get some things done. You know, if it's just one day and the weather's going to change the next day and you're going to be able to get outside, then it's a different focus. But um, we're kind of lucky because we have a, the university has a um, all turf kind of, intramural field that's that's about five minutes away from our our school and so our our athletic director has done a great job the last two years of getting us connected to that and so we get time on that field every other day our first two weeks and so Mm. what we'll do is is the days when they go when we can go over to the turf field we will hit in the morning instead of doing our conditioning and so we'll go in and hit we'll get all our hacks in knowing and then in the afternoon we're not we don't have any access to cages or anything on that field and it's a pretty short fence so we don't want to be, you know, driving balls into the fraternity houses and stuff like that. So um, we don't hit at all when we go over there. We just go get all our defensive stuff done. And so that was, you know, another kind of learning curve for us was, hey, let's get this stuff done in the morning with our offense. And then in the, in the afternoon, we can focus all on the defense because we only have it for about an hour and 15 minutes or something like that. So we got to really hustle and work and get things done. So we'll do that. Uh, but when we're inside, you know, we have throw down mounds. And so our, our pitching coach does a really good job. His name is Matt Coulter. He's a teacher at the high school and he, he does a really good job of, of getting the pitchers in and, and being organized with them and having a plan for them. And so they'll throw, get our catching work done. Um, we have machines in there. And so we'll, you know, we'll get all of our catcher EDD stuff where they're working on framing and blocking and, their transfers throw into second and third um, off a machine in the cage. 
and get that work done because I think it's really important for them to get EDDs every day as a catcher. You know, there's you can't take that day off for them, especially with their transfer and their blocking. So we always try to build that into the practice. Um, and then, you know, our, our infielders, we have a set of individual drills that can be done inside. And so they'll get that stuff done, short hops. We have a little cement wall where they'll throw the ball against the wall and get ground balls and stuff like that. Outfielders are the hard one for me, figuring out mm-hmm. ways to do that. You know, you can only do so many drop steps and head flips in the gym until those guys are like, all right, can we go hit now? So um, that's always a tough one. Um, But from a competitive standpoint, we like to play a game at the end of the day. Um, You know, I'm I'm really lucky. The guy that kind of does our hitters is a guy named Pat Domit. He's won five or six state championships at a small school down the road, Colton, uh, which is just outside of Pullman. Um, His dad was in the Hall of Fame. His brother, Ryan, was drafted out of Moses Lake and and played professionally. And his other brother played at Gonzaga. So just a great baseball family. And he does just a tremendous job with our kids. He coaches our AAA Legion team, too. And he, you know, he goes in and gets real competitive with them in the cages and you know, he used to be a pitcher in college, so he gets after him and throws his 40-foot slider and fastball and, and really competes with him. So that's a lot of fun. We, we just get that edge with him. Um, but we'll play games, you know, with our hitters where they'll have to, you know, basically they have to hit the ball back up the middle and they get two points for hitting it off the back panel and one point for hitting it off the L screen. And if they pop up or roll over or anything like that, uh, they're out. You know, they get one swing. If they hit it hard and they, they get a point, they get to keep hitting. You know, so guys will be in there for four or five and, you know, score four or five points for their team. And we let the other team stand right there and, you know, get on them and razz them a little bit and make fun of them and try to create a little bit of a pressure situation for them. The kids love that because they're razzing their teammates and having a good time with it. And, um, I love it because basically our rule is if you hit the top of the net before it gets past the L screen, you're out. It's a fly ball. And our kids just smoke a ball and it'll hit before. And I'll say, nope, you're out. And they're just like, coach, come on. I crushed that thing. That's out of here. All that kind of stuff. So it's like, hey, man, we're trying to hit line drives through the middle. We're not trying to hit long fly balls. So um, we like to end with something like that every day. Um, If we get really backed up on our field, we'll, we'll put pitchers in in on a on a um, mound in our kind of taller tunnel and let them throw live at the hitters um and we've done that and that's been good you know yeah it's obviously not real but you're still getting that one-on-one matchup and it's good for your hitters it's good for your pitchers and we'll let them get their 30 pitches or whatever it is and then switch and run through that so we'll do some things like that um then we'll use machines to try to get velocity and spin when we don't have pitchers to throw um, and you know, like I said, we, we try to just come up with ways where the kids can compete and have fun, even though they're stuck in the gym and, and, you know, we just use it as a time where it's one of those things where, you know what, every team that's out there today is going to go practice. They're all going to, they're all going to hit, they're all going to throw, they're all going to field ground balls. They're all going to do their drills. It's not what we do. It's how we do it. And when we're in the gym, if we go into the gym and we, get after it and we grind and we sweat and we work hard and we compete with each other and have fun, uh, then we're going to get better. But if we go in there and feel sorry for ourselves because we're in the gym again today and we slow things down and we're not focused and, you know, we're not going to get better. And so it's another one of those baseball things where you can use it to teach and and build that kind of how we're going to react and persevere over tough things type of mentality. And we try to do that as much as we can. That's a good point. Like when we go inside, same same sort of idea. It's like when there's something about walking into the gym versus going onto your field that just you lose some intensity, you lose some focus. And yeah. I love that because uh, of course everybody else in our area is doing the same thing. Like we're all stuck inside. You can only be so creative. So we're all essentially doing the same stuff. So yeah, that 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 focus on how we get this done 
is going to be the difference on how how you know how much we get out of this practice versus maybe how much you know some of our competitors get out of their practices it's how we do it it's how we spend that time it's how focused and intentional we are because yeah like you were saying when you you walk into gym it's really it's just a different environment it's i don't know it'd be like i don't know a basketball team like going out to the tennis courts to do dribbling practice yeah. Be, it'd be awkward. It'd be weird. It doesn't make sense. And but you know, for baseball, especially in the Northwest, like this is what we have to do, and this is just—it's just part of the—it's just part of the agreement, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's something that makes baseball unique, and it's something that makes Northwest baseball unique. And you know, I remember sitting at a clinic years ago and listening to an old-time guy talking about baseball in Washington and talking about the coaches in, in Washington and that it's kind of a special community because we deal with things up here that, you know, other guys just don't have to deal with, you know, they're rolling the ball out and scrimmaging, whether it's February or June. And, and we don't have that luxury. We have to, we have to get creative with how we plan. And on top of that too, we have to figure out what's really important to us. You know, like if you go into the gym and you have an hour you're probably not going to take that whole hour because the kid, you're going to lose those kids after a little bit. So you gotta, you gotta really figure out what are the most important things to you as a coach? What are the messages and the ideas and the skills that you want to hammer home with those kids and really focus in on those few things that day and not try to do everything um, because you, you just can't do everything. And that's, that's one of the challenges from a baseball coaching perspective that, you know, basketball, football, stuff like that, they don't necessarily have is you, you, you never know what situation is going to come up in a game and you have to prepare your kids for all of them. And you have to figure out how to do that. And then on top of it, you have to figure out how to do that when the weather's bad and you're not on a field and everything else. And, and it, it's hard. You have to really work to make that happen. And you have to really work to keep them moving and keep them organized and keep the flow of practice going because it, it can really get stagnant really quick, especially when you're inside. And, you know, again, we come back to that message with our kids of, you know, how we do anything is how we do everything. We talk about that all the time. And, you know, you're not going to waste a day when it's 85 out, you know, on the diamond. Why would you waste a day when it's snowing and 32 in the gym? It's, you still have an opportunity to get better and you got to go into it with that mindset. And again, I think from a coaching standpoint, you don't go run a two hour practice in a gym, go run a 45 minute practice in the gym and then spend 15 minutes talking about the mental game or spend 15 minutes talking about your first and third situations in the classroom or talk about your stats or things that you think are important or, or have a quote and put it up on the whiteboard and have each kid discuss it or talk about your core covenants or, you know, those kinds of things. And so I think when you start building some of those things and you can get a lot further, um, with some of those other intangible type things that you want to get done and, and not necessarily grind your kids for two hours on, on, you know, gym drills. <laughs> right. Yeah. No kidding. It's um, to your credit, you know, what's, what's really important. You're like, what is it that we need to focus on? I had a coach on the podcast this, I think this past year um, from, from college in UC San Diego and he was their hitting coach and he told me something that just blew my mind. He's like, yes, sometimes in practice, we don't even hit. And I was like, what? and for me, like, I can't wrap my, my mind around that part of it. But he kind of explained it by the end. It's like, okay, like he's like, there's some days and I get the point that there's something that you maybe need to take out of the equation because you can't do everything every single day. Like we can't do the bunt defense first and third defense. We can't practice bunting on offense. We can't practice, like we can't do every single thing every single day. And so sometimes you have to pick and choose things and you've you've mentioned a couple times kind of the mental game earlier you mentioned um 
breathing and so uh, and visualization too um so when you have your guys together and you kind of break into discussion on breathing um what are you what are you talking about with them yeah um you know i think i've spent a lot of time over the years digging into mental game stuff and different strategies and you know guys from skip burtman and all this stuff he did visualizing and stuff to brian kane and peak performance and the one i come back to every single time is is heads up baseball um and i that, that's been such an influential book for me it's funny because if my dad were listening to this right now he'd just be like you got to be kidding me because he tried so hard to get me to read that as a player <laughs> And I just, I never did. Yeah. And I, it was one of those things where it was like, looking back, it's like, this would have been so good for me to have read it. Cause I was a bit of a hothead, you know, and if I could have stopped and, and figured out my yellow lights and taken the breath, I would have been a better player. But, um, you know, I, that's, that's one that's been a big one. Harvey Dorfman is a big one too, with yeah. the ABCs of baseball and, and, but the heads up baseball, I really like heads up baseball because the first one more so than the second one, the second one's good, but I think it gets a little complex and, the first one is so simple um, and it's, it's so simple and it's all directed toward a young man sitting with that book and, and writing down his thoughts and being interactive with that information. And I think that's always been my thing with the mental game is I want to make it as interactive for those kids as possible. And whether we're talking about breathing or developing, you know, a focal point they can look to or a routine to release, you know, the bad stuff or whatever that might be. Uh, I want it to be something they can kind of own and and be simple and be something that I can just say, hey, take a breath, you know, and like, you know, my daughters right now, I've got a, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old and a two-year-old and they get frustrated and man, do they get frustrated. And I always tell them, you know, smell the flowers, cool the soup, breathe in, breathe out, you know, and just, just smell the flowers now is all I have to say to them. And they kind of stop and go, okay. And they slow down, you know, and that's what I want to develop for my, my boys too, is like, Hey, just that one cue. Cause you know how it is when you, when you find a kid that's struggling and you find that one thing that you can say to them to just get them back on track, mm -hmm. it's, it's gold. Mm -hmm. and, and if you can figure out what that is and have each kid sort of own their own way of, of controlling themselves, uh, I think that's huge. And I think that's something that's going to benefit them for the rest of their life. Um, and with breathing in particular, we start, you know, in, in the first day of tryouts, we come in at, at 6.30 or 7 a.m., whatever it is before school, and we run them pretty hard. And, and they get tired, um, and they get worn out, and then we stretch afterwards. And, and after we stretch, we all lay down. I say, okay, dead man stretch. So they lay down flat on their back, and they sprawl their arms and legs out, you know, like like they're dead. <laughs> and they, they some, some of them feel like they might be. Um, and so they lay down, and it's like, oh, my gosh, we're done, thank God, you know. And uh, and then we work on our breathing right then and there because I think they're they're exhausted. They've mm. just they've just been challenged physically and mentally a little bit too. And now is a great chance to take that exhaustion and teach during that time and force them to focus and and kind of overcome that right. And so they lay down on their backs, they close their eyes, and I just start with breathe in, breathe out, and they just are on me. And I slow down their breathing by say in, out, right, and they're breathing in through their nose, out through their mouth. We talk about. Uh, we could say get big, breathe in greatness. Um, and so they breathe in, get their chest real big, and then they blow it out, breathe in positive thoughts, blow out negative thoughts. And so we kind of talk to them about all those sorts of things, sort of lay that groundwork for, for the importance of breathing in baseball. And, uh, and then mentally what they're visualizing is winning a state championship. And so we start with that every year. And 
basically what I say to them is I want you to see yourself winning that state championship. You know, what does that look like? Your friends are on the field with you. Your fans are in the stands that have been supporting you all year long. Your family's been supporting you your whole life. What does that look like to make that final out in that state championship game? And then what does it smell like? And then what does it sound like? And then what does it feel like? And everything else so that they get those different senses of what it would be like, you know, there's popcorn or hot dogs cooking or whatever. And you can smell that. When you think about a baseball game, right, you know what that smells like. I remember playing at Peter Kirk in, in Kirkland downtown. They used to make these burgers with onions on them. And the whole city of Kirkland, I swear, smelled like those burgers and onions during the game. And it was awesome. And you knew it was a big time battle between Lake Washington or Juanita or whoever else and who they were playing that night. And that, that, that was a unique thing about that. And I think there's a unique thing about a state championship as well. So we try to see every little piece of that. And then we stop and we say, okay, now clear all that out of your mind. And what's, what do you need to do from right now on day one to get all the way to that state championship? So see that process. So we start setting them up for that idea of this isn't just going to happen. It's not just about that outcome. It's about all those pieces that get lined up and those steps that you take every single day to get there. And so that's how we start. Um, and so I don't get too crazy about the breathing. You know, I, I just want them to get, you know, get their chest big and feel that big breath in and then blow that big breath out and clear their mind and use that to breathe in greatness and breathe out the bad stuff. And that's where we start. And like I said, we try to keep it simple. So I think the mental game stuff can get really complicated and complex. Um, but I think for our guys, if, if we can get them to kind of get into a routine with a deep breath and, and finding some sort of focal point or somewhere to look, whether it be a foul pole or something on their glove or their shoe or whatever, um, we try to get them to just kind of centralize their eyes and locate something to kind of calm them down and, and get their mind off of that bad call or that that swinging at a bad pitch or whatever that might have been. So that's kind of where we start with it. Um, and then we'll go from there and, and do some different things throughout the year to kind of build off of that. And, and, you know, depending on if we have a bunch of young guys that need more of that sort of stuff, we'll do that. And if we have older guys that are kind of, you know, locked in with that and pretty competent, then we just kind of use it as reminders daily. Um, and then, we'll, you know, one of the hardest parts for me is finding time to, to lay down and visualize and I see these guys posting on Twitter all the time and tagging, you know, Jagger and some of these other guys about their guys are laying down and visualizing. I'm like, yeah, that's easy when it's 85 out and, you know, it's sunny. <laughs> it's a lot harder to get a bunch of 16 year olds to lay down in the outfield when it's 38 degrees and they've just practiced yeah. for the last hour and a half. So that's the hard part is, is figuring out that because we don't have a clubhouse or anything to go into. And so yeah. trying to weave that mental game into practice is, is a challenge. And I think, I think it's always the first thing that you pull out of your practice when things get going right. hard. Um, and it's, it, that's, that's a tough one because it's one of the most important pieces. And we try to figure out ways to authentically weave that into practice as much as we can. Yeah. Last year, this last spring, it's funny you say that because this last spring, um, you know, same thing like you sharing cages with softball and stuff like that. So we didn't have anywhere to go uh, on one particular day. And so we ended up having our whole program. So like 40 guys, 45 guys. Um, and we were just in the hallway in our school, like in the science wing. It's like at four o'clock. So most staff are gone and we're doing like visual, you know, so they have their eyes closed, they're laying down and all that stuff. And uh, one of the teachers, Mrs. Drexler, she walks out of her room you know, completely unsuspecting. I had no idea we're out there. And she just kind of stops, stares at everybody, then just quietly closes her door and just kind of is just stepping over all these, you know, bodies on the floor without letting them know she's there. And just thinking of same thing with you. I'm thinking of, man, this would be 
so much easier if it was 90 degrees and we were out on our turf field just laying down of like oh, sometimes yeah. it's really hard and we find a way and we make it work um i agree with you too i think heads up baseball the first one um and i think it would work for any sport really you could you could make, really make it work for anything um obviously there's baseball specific examples in it but um, it's so friendly for teenagers and, and like yeah. taking that work and, and providing it to them and, and finding ways for it to work for them is, um, it's really natural. It's really simple too. Like you're saying, uh, really easy to make the mental stuff so complex. And, um, I don't think there's many high school kids who need this super complex. They just need, like you're saying the focal point, right? Like Evan Longoria's foul pole. You, you just like, yeah. it, it just, it doesn't have to be crazy. It just has to be consistent and something that they'll actually use. And I'm one of the worries, of course, is that so many people are just doing it for the lip service of being able to say, well, yeah, we do mental, we do mental sure. training. It's like, but, but do you like, do your players like actually use it? And I think that's kind of the next obvious, like, you know, obvious point. Yeah. I, I think that's the next obvious point. I think that's the most challenging piece too. I, I remember, um, I had two sophomore boys like my second or third year at East Lake, and and we were in my classroom. That was the other thing, you know. I had a classroom at my last two schools where we could sit down and do a lot of this stuff. I, you know, now I'm at the middle school, so trying to find just even a classroom with a whiteboard can be a challenge, you know. And um, so we we were sitting in there, and and I was having them fill out some stuff from from uh, heads up baseball, I think it was like, you know, your pregame or your pre-pitch, how it has that funnel, you know, and your, your thoughts should be wide and then get narrowed down to just the baseball. And so they're working through some of those worksheets or something. And I remember one of them leaned over Josh Barocas. He was a, just a great kid. And the mental game was really important for him. Um, and he leans over to Griffin and taps him on the shoulder. He goes, Hey man, let's go finish this up so we can go hit, you know? And it was like, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Hey coach, they don't want to do this. They want to go hit, you know? And so, Again, it, it's it's trying to simplify it for them, you know, because you hear all the time, you don't know what you're doing well enough if you can't explain it simply to somebody else. You know, I think as, as educators, we get that, right? You have to really simplify things for kids to be able to understand. And the better you know that, the more you can simplify that for them, explain it to them. And I think the other thing that, that comes from that too is, is releasing some of that stuff to your kids and letting them <laughs> kind of take control of that and them being the ones that, that run that stuff. And so one of the things that the heads up baseball talks about is going on a mission, right? And it's, it, it incorporates the why you play and what you want to accomplish and all those things are brought into this mission that you're going to go on every day. And so we sit down and we let our kids actually develop the mission that they're going to go on for the year. And they, they kind of come up with some things and they all sign it and they bring it to us as coaches. We're in, in the room with them. We let them do that all on their own. And the seniors kind of run that and they all sign it. And then we hang it up in our dugout and anytime, you know, if they talk about we want to be a competitive, hard-nosed, grinding team and we're out having a soft practice and we're lazy or whatever, we just come in and say, hey, you guys signed your name to this. This was your goal. How are we living up to that today? And if you're going to sign your name to something, you need to live by that. You know. And so, again, we use that as a teachable moment to, to bring some of that stuff back. And so, you know, I think, I think the mental game stuff is, is really important. Um, like you said, I think it's something that can – it's really in the last few years taken off, especially with like Twitter and stuff like that. And there's all kinds of different stuff and you can go down all sorts of rabbit holes about how to teach different aspects of peak performance and mental game and stuff like that. And I think, you know, for young coaches and guys that are trying to 
get that stuff developed. I think, you know, like I've said a couple of times, keep it simple, you know, find one or two things that are important to you about that. You know, is it that you want your kids to stay under control when bad things happen? Or is it that you want your kids to have a routine or is it, you know, whatever it is that you want for your program, pick a couple of things out from that and then go find a few different resources that talk about that specific thing and then find what works best for you, you know, and, and go back to when you were a kid. You know, would you have wanted to sit there and fill out a whole bunch of worksheets about heads up baseball? If not, don't do it. You know, come up with a different way of teaching it to them. And if it's something that's really important to you and you think that it's going to work, then, then really dig into that and make it important. And don't let it be the first thing you throw out when the weather's bad and you got to get through your bullpens. You know, make it something that's going to be there every single day. And then lastly, make it something that you can weave into everything you do. You know, if you can teach the mental game in the classroom, make sure you're teaching the exact same stuff when you're in the batting cages, you know, and make that something that translates over to the batting cages, to the mound, to the field, be able to continue that same message consistently to the kids uh, wherever you're at so that they're able to apply that to each situation that they're in. Because I think ultimately what that does is that lets them apply that to their lives, you know, and we all want to we all want to walk away from this thing feeling like we've made a difference in these kids' lives and we've had an impact on these kids. And some of the times you're never going to know that, right? You might get a letter 20 years down the road that says, wow, you've made a difference and you never knew that. And I think some of these things like the mental game and some of the, the stuff that we talk about with that are things that I think can make a huge impact on kids' lives. And I, I don't think that. I know that because it's the same for me. You know, I still use some of these things about – being a great teammate and working hard and those intangible pieces that our coaches really harped on growing up, those, those have made me a better husband. They've made me a better father. They've made me a better teacher, a better neighbor, you know? And so I know that it works and I know that it, that it improves kids' lives and you just got to figure out what works best for you and run with it and stick to it. I think it's a great way to kind of get to a conclusion for us. I think the, I think the application of it is so important. And um, I've, I've said before on a different podcast episode at some point about yeah, kind of what you're just talking about. The, the It's hard to know if you're really making an impact on kids. And like you said, you, maybe you get a letter 20 years down the road. It's like, well, that's cool. Um, but in the moment, <laughs> you're not really sure. Uh, but you know, like you you do, like you said, you know that the, the mental game stuff does impact kids right away it makes them better at handling emotions and difficult moments that they're going to experience now and tomorrow and all throughout life and like you, you know with your kids just get you know spell the flower like take a breath take a second everything's going to be all right you, you can find your way through this and a path through it so i think it's it is stuff that you can immediately impact kids with now and even though they might not say it uh, you, you know it's making an impact on them um, so, yeah. uh, kind of find a, a good kind of stopping point for us, but I do, you know, I do want to give you a chance if there's anything we missed or, um, thought we might get to, or any extensions of any parts of the conversation that, um, you want to hit back on, uh, just kind of hand the mic over to you one more time. Yeah. I, I just think going on with that, you know, I, I think it would be really hard getting into education right now getting into coaching because a lot of what we see, um, is Twitter and things like that. And it, and nobody ever posts a bad day on Twitter. You, you're, you're always seeing the good stuff and the, the aha moments and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think for, for young teachers out there and, and young coaches and guys that are getting into it and stuff and, and working with kids, it's not perfect. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have good days and bad days. Not every day is going to be that letter from that student that made, you know, that you made a difference in their life. You know, you got to be confident knowing that you're doing your best. Um, you know, my, my, one of my mentors 
growing up used to say, you know, you just got to be able to lay your head down on the pillow every night, know that you've done your very best and you've done right by these kids. And I think that, you know, we're, we're getting away from that message a little bit and getting more into the idea that every single day needs to be a life changing day. And I just, it's not like that. You got to be realistic and you've got to be comfortable working through the tough times and and knowing that you're doing the right thing. And, And I think that goes for everything that we do. Um, with working with young people is you've got to just continue to come back every single day because you never know when that day where you really make that difference in that young person's life is going to be. And if you don't come back every single day, ready to do that, whether you've had a good day or bad day before you might miss that opportunity. Um, and you just got to keep grinding through it and it's not all going to be positive, positive every single day, but you're doing it for the right reasons. Um, remember why you chose it, remember what your why is in this profession and keep grinding it out and don't forget to have fun every once in a while and and keep it moving. And maybe win some games along the way. Who knows? Uh, That helps. That helps everything. (laughs) It does does help. Makes, makes putting your head down at the end of the day on the pill a little bit easier. Um, in, in, In Pullman high school, the best of luck this upcoming spring and in the future. And, um, we didn't get into it, but, um, probably should have just, um, I know it's weird to say, but I, I am proud of you for, um, you, you'd mentioned earlier in the podcast that your wife came to you with this idea of, you know, getting up and moving away and heading four and a half hours to the East and doing this for a job she wanted. I think so much of what I hear and, and what I know is usually men, high school coaches taking their families and moving them all over the place and making it about themselves. And, uh, I, I, it was a really powerful thing that I probably should have hit up on a little bit more. And, um, so just man to man, really proud of you for doing that. I, I don't know how many high school coaches that I've, I've talked to are, are, some would say they do it, but I, I, I'm not sure as many would actually do it. And so just, I think that's a really, um, incredible thing. And I think that's, one of the ways that that kind of makes a man a man is being able to do something like that and not and, and even you being comfortable with like well I went to Pullman and there was no coaching job so I was just gonna you know be there and teach and whatever happens happens and so just yeah. um really cool and I think that's a really inspiring message that I hope people um hear through this conversation because I think it's really important um but yeah wish you the best of luck and uh and hope the weather ends up beautiful and hot and sunny all spring for you and you don't have to be inside too much Oh yeah. We both know that won't happen, but yeah, no big, big shout out to my wife. She is the best coach's wife there is. And, uh, she's the best teacher and coach in our household too. So (laughs) she reminds me of that all the time, but yeah, no coach, I I really appreciate it. I hope you guys have a great season as well. Um, this was a lot of fun and, and fun to kind of reflect on some of the things that we were talking about. And I appreciate you giving me this opportunity and and to all the coaches out there, if they ever want to, connect or reach out. Um, we're working on a, a lot of stuff through the Washington State Coaches Association. We got a clinic coming up in February. And I, I think that that uplifting young coaches and, and bringing that coaching community together is one of the most important parts about what we do. So I'd, I'd always be happy to sit down and talk to people or they can feel free to reach out to me anytime. So appreciate you having me. And, and this was a lot of fun. Thank you. <laughs> From the sounds of it, it might be time to bring in Kevin's wife for a podcast episode now since she's the better coach of the two and he was phenomenal. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening to Apple Podcasts and no matter where you're listening, hit that subscribe button.
Most importantly, though, if you found any value at all from this episode or any previous episodes, please share this on social media via email or through the old fashioned word of mouth. It does not matter how you do it. Just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. That's how we all get better. And that's how we grow the club. Huge fist bump to Coach Agnew for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking the play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say... Loving you.